from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Gone are the shepherds. Gone are Mary and Joseph and the innkeeper too. Gone are the magi who haven't even arrived yet. Gone are Zechariah and Elizabeth and their then-infant prophet son, John. Gone is Herod, the not-so-great-at-all, his burning fear against a potential rival staining Bethlehem's plain with the blood of children. Gone is Caesar Augustus, whose irrational registration decree fit into God's timeline quite nicely. Thank you very much. Where have they gone? Well, there were only two possibilities, just as there are for you. What was the ultimate destiny of these individuals who were involved in or on the periphery of the Christmas story? Heaven or hell? If we base it on the evidence of the Bible and other recorded history, we could make some educated guesses, I think. Herod, the brutal murderer and rejecter of the King of Kings. Hell, probably. Caesar Augustus. He thought he was a god himself, and he would not have claimed faith in some deity of an insignificant segment of his subjects far away in backwater Palestine. My money's on hell for him, too. The innkeeper? He wasn't being mean. The poor guy was just swamped with travelers. He didn't want to turn away the business. He simply didn't have the capacity to handle anymore. Perhaps he heard and he believed in the Savior after the shepherd's visit to the child. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. The shepherds themselves are a safe bet, aren't they? For not only did they hear the word which the angel proclaimed to them, they acted upon it in faith by going to Bethlehem to worship the infant Savior. And they told others the good news as well. The Magi, they apparently knew the Scriptures well enough to know that that star in the sky was an indication of the coming of a king of Israel. And they came to pay homage, to worship Him, and to bring Him costly treasures. Heaven, I'd guess. And Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and John are almost sure things. Despite their various and occasional stumbles and doubts like questioning angels about details and planning quiet divorces or asking Jesus if He actually was the long-promised one, these five are viewed as being champions of the faith. Examples to us all. But we really can't be sure, can we? Because we cannot see into the heart of another and determine with certainty if saving faith in Christ Jesus is there or not. 
All we can ever do is base our estimations and satisfy our idle curiosity on the evidence we have. And most importantly, upon the confessions that others make. But that's okay. Because it is not our task to determine or to judge who is saved and who is not. That's God's work both to decide and to accomplish. For all of those individuals in the Christmas story, the question is rather moot anyway, isn't it? They are long since dead and buried. Gone the way of all flesh. Just as you and I will one day. For just like you, Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and all the rest are children of Adam and Eve. At many times and in many ways, you also have broken the law given through Moses and written upon your hearts of stone. One day you, like them, will be long gone too. You had a beginning, and you will have an earthly end. This Christmas is one of but a fleeting, finite number you'll get to enjoy in the company of family and friends. Of all of those involved in that first Christmas, of all who have participated in observing and celebrating each Christmas since, past, present, and yet to come, there is but one who endures. Not out of persistence or stubbornness, not out of longevity, but out of divinity. He endures because He is. St. John does not begin his Gospel account with a Christmas story of virgin mothers and innkeepers, shepherds, magi, and kings. He is writing long after Mary and Joseph and Herod and Augustus and all the rest have become a part of history. Instead, John describes what is lasting and sure. In the beginning was the Word. And through that Word, God spoke creation into existence. The Word is power. The Word is truth. The Word is light and wisdom and glory. And whatever the Word speaks and whenever and wherever the Word is spoken, reality follows. Not just follows, is created. As our second reading from the book of Hebrews indicates today, at one time God made use of the prophets to convey His Word and His will to His people. When that Word, His Son and our salvation came in the flesh, it is that Son who has now become our primary connection to the will and the purposes of the Father. In Jesus, we see the light of God's glory, God's intent, and God's work for us, in us, and through us. For what Christ has accomplished brings us back to the Father and brings the Father who has never left us back closer to us still. The Son is the heir of all things, appointed by His Father. He is the one to whom the entire legacy, estate, and household of God belong and are subordinated. That which the Father intends, the Son carries out obediently. For the Son carries the glory and the nature of God. 
What's more, we are told, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And even when He had humbled Himself and become incarnate in our flesh, all creation remained under His authority as is evidenced by His many miracles. Yes, even the angels were placed under His authority and His direction. Why don't you act like you're under His authority then? Is is it that you prefer the darkness and not the shining light of life? Is it that you do not know Him like so much of the rest of the world? Is it that receiving Him would pose an inconvenience to your lifestyle and create potential embarrassment in how you want the world to view you? Perhaps sometimes it is those things. But they cannot persist and they cannot endure. For each of you has received God's Word, creating in you a new reality in the font, from pulpit and lectern, from the hymnal, and from the altar. In your land of deep darkness and an even darker heart, true light shines. Your ignorance has been cast aside. The knowledge of the fear of the Lord has been granted to you and through you through the enduring Word of His prophets, apostles, and the Lord Himself. You are His people, the ones whom He has chosen. And in receiving His Word, you receive Him in all of His fullness, all of His glory, all of His grace, all of His truth. Jesus is the One who has made purification for sins, as Hebrews describes it. For all sins, Yours and mine alike. Having done so, that purity is His to do as He sees fit. And it is His expressed intention to share it with you so that you might be made pure also. Receive that purity, that righteousness from God as He has chosen to bestow it upon you. It is your enduring garment for your good and from your good and gracious God. It will not wear out like a worldly garment. It will not require changing or mending. When heaven and earth pass away, the Word and all of its promises will endure. When you go the way of Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the magi, Christ remains the same to all generations. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He is not going anywhere, but into your ears and into your eyes and into your mouth and into your heart. Receive Him. Believe on His name. And remain His child, born of God. In the name of He who endures forever, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.